This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 52. Episode number 52. Um, sorry for the uh, time off. I know it's been a few weeks now since uh, episode 51. Uh, lots going on. A ceiling collapsed uh, in our apartment. Nobody was hurt, but it kind of disrupted everything. Um, and on top of that, uh, just kind of trying to find the new balance. Um, I took on a little bit too much. I was trying to do too much at once. Um, so some things have to give, and I kind of know what what I have to give to move it around. Um, but anyway, this is the last one that I recorded before the break. Um, I was actually in Minnesota when I recorded this because my mom, who's uh, my number one hero, mentor, um, person who kind of shapes my moral compass on the world, uh, she was a lawyer for the Puyallup Indian tribe when I was growing up. Um, she didn't make a lot of money doing that. But that and just her example um, as a person living a life with integrity um, in accordance with, with her beliefs uh, just really kind of set, yeah, set the moral compass for me and my life. Um, she's been retired now for many years and in her retirement she's become more of an active an activist uh mainly one of her main things is on climate change and about a year or two ago she did some direct action in minnesota and actually turned off one of the pipelines the oil pipelines the tar sands lines what they call them so she was uh facing felony prosecution in the court um and so i was in minnesota a couple weeks ago to support her in her case now, I flew into Minneapolis. The trial was in Bagley, and that's about four hours from Minneapolis. I took a red eye and was driving up to Bagley, and I got a text from her that she got acquitted, which is good news because I did not want her to to spend any time in prison. Um, so I was going there, and you know it meant, well, I would have a little bit more time to hang out with my mom. And there, uh, one of the witnesses who's going to be on the case is... Dr. James Edward Hansen, and he's a former NASA scientist and one of the leading foremost uh, climate scientists in the world. And he was doing interview to interview. I, I saw him give a talk at a local college there, and I pulled him aside for about 10 minutes, and we had a conversation about climate change and about his ideas about what we could do. Um, it was a good talk. There's a little bit of background noise, but I'm glad I took the opportunity to talk with him. And there's some links to some things that you can get involved with. One of them is the Citizens Climate Lobby. Another one is Our Children's Trust. Uh, I'll have links to all the different things that he talks about. It was just a quick, like, 10, 15-minute conversation. But I'm really glad, like I said, it's not every day you get to talk to a former NASA scientist. And also, depending on when you're hearing this, uh, either, either the message is vote tomorrow, Tuesday the 6th, or you might be hearing this today, Tuesday the 6th. I'm releasing it Monday, but um, yeah. Point is, if you hear this and it's before or on Tuesday the 6th, vote. And the point of it is get involved. Get involved. We need all hands on deck, period. Uh, we need to decide where we want to go. 
one way to do that is to vote. Another way is direct action. Um, but the main thing to do is to engage with, with your world, your community, what's going on around you, and do the best you can. And it, it doesn't look the same for everybody. But don't let don't let the personal things that happen to you um, beat you down. Don't get discouraged if you make mistakes. Um, I've kind of been beating on myself a little bit, and that's not helpful for me, and it's not helpful for anybody else or the world. Um, so please uh, hear that advice that I'm saying to you and know that I know I need to take it myself. Um, but that said, yeah, here's the conversation I had with Dr. Hansen. Um, and then following that will be the conversation that I had with my mom. Uh, so without further ado, this is Dr. Hansen. Let's have a conversation with Dr. James Edward Hansen, leading climate scientist. Let's have a conversation. Okay, so Dr. Hansen, um, you know something about climate change. I hope so. <laughs> After 50 years of research. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did that, like, what got you into climate change? Was, were you studying, like, just climate in general? No, no, no. I started out as in planetary science. I um, was fortunate to, uh, you know, I grew up in Iowa. And it so happens that when I went to the University of Iowa that I had the world-famous... James Van Allen, as the chairman of the physics department, he was building in the basement of the physics building instruments for the first United States satellite. And of course, he discovered the radiation belts, which were then named the Van Allen belts. But um, I was the first student, first undergraduate, to pass the PhD qualifying exam. So he noticed me, even though I was very shy. Uh, and he told me about observations of Venus, microwave radiation coming from Venus, which was very high level of radiation. So either Venus must have had radiation belts, like the Van Allen belts around the Earth, or it was extremely hot. Well, it turned out. So that's what I worked on is my PhD research. It turned out that Venus is very hot. 900 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface. And the reason it was so hot, which was confirmed by the Soviet Venera spacecraft, was that it had a very thick carbon dioxide atmosphere. So I was then went off and joined NASA, and I proposed an instrument to go to Venus, which was selected. Uh, but while that instrument was being built, we realized scientists realized that the Earth's atmosphere was changing, which makes the Earth a more interesting planet than Venus. So I resigned as the PI after almost 10 years of research on planets and uh, wrote a proposal to NASA for uh, uh, climate research to build a climate model and spent five years uh, working on that and, and in 1981 okay. had completed a paper which was published in Science and then reported in the New York Times and that led to testifying to Congress. So then from that time on I've been climate researcher. So now 40 years. 
it's interesting because I was going to ask that. Um, you mentioned 1981, kind of when that shift, like, you know, officially started. Um, I was born in 1981. Uh-huh. And Annette's my mom. And um, <laughs> I went to, so I grew up in Seattle. I went to an elementary school. Um, it was in Columbia City. And that was like right in the middle of the crack epidemic. But um, this elementary school is a public school. It's called Orca Elementary. And it had a greenhouse and there was a heavy environmental thing. Mm-hmm. And I actually, when I was in the third grade, joined the Ecology Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely, you know, Seattle's an interesting place. And probably ahead of the curve in some ways. Um, yeah on climate change and stuff like that um so i was definitely aware of it but the thing that fascinates me now i was just talking to somebody yesterday about this the new warning like the new timetable of like the point of no return yeah i don't know what the exact prediction was when i was a kid but i remember it being something that was predicted to happen in my lifetime that like we had to turn this around yeah and so it's a little bit scary because now I think the evidence rapidly is becoming yeah. clear that it's like a, and it is immediate. It yeah. is an immediate thing, but it seems like the timetable that they're now saying isn't that different than what yeah. they've been saying for yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our um, calculated global temperature change calculated in 1981 with simple one-dimensional climate model and then in 1988 with a three-dimensional general circulation model is very similar to what's actually happened. Yeah. The, what's uh, perhaps surprising, although maybe not, is the fact that the world has ignored the issue and has not done anything significant to alter the uh, energy path that the world is on. We've allowed fossil fuels to not only continue to be used, but we've subsidized them. Uh, While economists will tell you, gee, you could solve this problem, Uh, make the price of fossil fuels honest. (laughs) Include the air pollution, water pollution, climate change costs in the price of fuels, and we would begin to move quite rapidly. Yeah. to clean energies and energy efficiency, but we're just not doing that. And it's in good part because of the power of the fossil fuel industry, the fact that they, uh, in effect, bribe uh, governments. But it's really our governments that have the obligation to protect the public. And so I blame them more than the fossil fuel industry. The industry is just trying to make money the way any every industry does. Mm-hmm. And we should have uh, responsible political leaders who uh, adopt effective policies. And we're just not doing that. So we have to try to use the democratic uh, system. That, that means the courts as well as uh, legislatures to... Uh, get them to change policy. And I think the courts are particularly important because they should be less affected by fossil fuel money than the other two branches of government. Um, that's w- and that's why we're putting very heavy 
emphasis and hopes on the Our Children's Trust lawsuit because it it is very carefully uh, drawn up uh, to make the the overall story clear uh, to the uh, judicial system. I'm I'm confident that we will win at the Oregon District Court and no doubt it will get appealed and eventually end up at the Supreme Court. But the constitutional basis for the lawsuit is so clear and so strong that I think even with the conservative Supreme Court we have an excellent chance to win the case and force the government to come up with some plan. So what is this specific case you're, you're referring to? Our Children's Trust is um, a lawsuit, well, Our Children's Trust is a nonprofit organization that has filed a lawsuit on behalf of 21 young people and me as a guardian of future generations. Um, but um, we're asking the courts to require the, uh, the government to have a plan to reduce emissions at a rate that would allow climate to be stabilized this century. Uh, that's a tall order. It actually requires reducing emissions at a rate of several percent a year. It would have been easier if they had started earlier, yeah. but we didn't, and now we are where we are, and um, we need to act soon. So um, hopefully we will win that case and begin to force the government at the very latest by the beginning of the next administration in the United States, which will be about two years, a little bit more than two years from now. What do you think of uh, the efforts of countries like uh, the Netherlands, per se? Well, that's the first, the Netherlands has the, the first um, successful lawsuit against the government for not uh, protecting the rights of young people. That's uh, a, a case which is quite analogous to the one of our children's trust in the United States. I'm sorry to do this to you again. We're just confirming 100% you will go to Minneapolis after your event tonight yeah. and oh, tonight. do Democracy Now! Well, tomorrow morning. You're going to drive? We're well, going to give him a ride. Yeah. And yeah. you're fine with me contacting your assistant to move your travel again? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. All right. And where are your rides? Pardon? Where are your rides? Okay. I'm almost ready. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think maybe for the purposes of this podcast, maybe I'll link them. Is there a link for our children's trust to find out more information or how they can support yes. that? Yes. Uh, I, I think it's just just ourchildrenstrust.org. Cool. Um, and do you have any final thoughts um, for our listeners, like if they want to get involved or or whatever? Like how well, the, the way, the most effective way for the public to get involved in this is to join Citizens Climate Lobby, to even form a local chapter. There are now more than 400 chapters. Uh, it's, it's a volunteer organization with now more than 90,000 members, and it's the numbers that are beginning to impress Washington. 
and uh, Congress people. Uh, so it's not enough for us to win a court case. We actually have to get the government to come up with effective policies. And if you if we do the usual approach, it will be the special interests who have a big role in defining the solution. Uh, we have to make sure that's not the case. The special interest needs to be the public, especially young people. Mm -hmm. Is that the future? Um, do you have a website or anything? Yeah. Uh, it's um, and I'll of course put the links climate in. science awareness and solutions uh, at Columbia University I'll have to give you that to make sure that it, uh, I give it to you accurately cool and I'll put the proper um, link in the show notes and stuff in, in some sense it may be easier to look at my website which is www.columbia.edu slash ambersand jeh1 but uh, that has the links then to climate science awareness and solutions website cool well thank you very much sure. you got a busy day ahead of you thanks so that was my conversation with dr james edward hansen uh I know the background noise was a little bit loud in that, so I hope you uh, still enjoy that. I thought it was an important conversation to have, and yeah, I just pulled him aside real quick and talked to him. Talked to a NASA scientist. And now, um, this is the conversation that I had with my mom. And um, also in the show notes will be a link to the interview that my mom and one of the other Valve Turners did with Dr. James Hansen on Democracy Now!, but here's my conversation with Annette Clapstein, my mom. Let's have another conversation. So, Mom, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Trying to recover from the shocks of the past week. Uh, so why don't you let us know, for those of us, quote-unquote, who don't know uh, what's been going on. Um, well, two years ago, I was one of five valve turners uh, who went out and shut down the tar sands oil pipelines across um, four states. I was uh, one of two who did it here in Minnesota, and um, we were arrested and charged with felonies. Um, we did this to, uh, in an attempt to stop the tar sands because the tar sands are the worst contributor to uh, climate change, which, as we know from the IPCC report this week, is uh, a very dire problem that needs to immediately be addressed. And I came out uh, a couple days ago because your trial was happening, happening here in Minnesota. Um, and what happened with that? What happened with that was um, bizarre, to say the least. Um, we uh, had been granted the right to use the necessity defense by our judge a year ago. Um, we had requested that defense, um, which is fairly unusual, um, and he had actually granted it. Nobody else in any of the other states had been granted that. Um, so we were very happy about that. It meant that we were going to be able to call a, a lot of expert climate scientists and also experts on civil disobedience and political scientists who could explain um, why we would do this 
um, because, you know, and explain how our system does not work for ordinary people, um, how it is really an oligarchy and is, you know, basically geared to work only for corporations and not for, you know, ordinary citizens. So we had all these experts lined up to testify. And about three days before the trial, we got an order from the judge saying that we could not use any experts to testify on climate change or civil disobedience, which basically gutted our entire case. So we were absolutely scrambling at the last minute trying to figure out a way to put on our case with just our own testimony and whatever bits we could squeeze out of our remaining experts, Dr. Hansen, Dr. James Hansen, former lead, you know, uh, climate scientist at NASA for many years, um, considered one of the you know top climate scientists in the world, had agreed to come out and testify for us, and he came anyway and was you know standing by to testify to climate science if we could somehow get him in, and if not, he could still we were hoping testify to some of the other terrible effects of tar sands, such as you know the cancer rates that go up around there, the poisoning of the water for miles around, all of those sorts of things. So. Um, yeah, we were really scrambling. We uh, picked a jury on Monday. That took all day. Um, Tuesday, as you were driving up to Bagley, um, the prosecutor presented his case. He only put on two witnesses, the sheriff and an Enbridge employee. And um, basically what he proved was that we had, you know, broken some chains, um, you know, on on the enclosures um, for the emergency shutoff valve for the, for the pipelines. Um, and we had, you know, never disputed that we did that. We live streamed it as we did it. Um, so at the close of the case, uh, our lawyers made what is a very standard motion in any criminal case, um, which is called a motion for judgment of acquittal. And, you know, basically the argument is, well, the prosecutor didn't prove his case. And... At that stage of the case, it, even if the you know prosecutor has put on a really weak case, ordinarily the judge says, you know, well, I'll reserve judgment until after you've presented your case, blah, blah, blah. You know, in all my years of practicing law, and, you know, I practiced law for over 30 years, I have never seen that motion granted before, but our judge granted that motion and acquitted us you know, didn't ever go to the jury. We didn't even present any evidence to the jury. The judge just found us not guilty at the close of the prosecutor's case. He said he had not proved the case. Nice. Um, now, if if that hadn't happened, uh, you were going to give a testimony, maybe like when I got there or the following day, which would have right. been today. Right. Um, so what was the plan for that? And then do you want to read what you were going to... Right. I had, um, you know, my, my lawyers would have put me on the stand and asked me a lot of questions about my background and all the, the, you know, things I've tried over the years to combat climate change and all the activism I've done. But, um, yeah, the I, I kind of had worked out my final statement because the last question that my lawyer was going to ask me was, well, you know... I'm sure the jury would like to know why would a lawyer who practiced law for so many years, you know, and was part of the system and everything, be willing to go out and, um, you know, do this kind of risky legal action? Why would why would you take that risk and be willing to get arrested and risk 
the possibility of going to prison. So that was the final question she was going to ask me. And, you know, of course, I wouldn't have had the actual written statement, but I had written it out for my own use in practicing, you know, yeah, for myself. Um, so I'd have be ready to, you know, sort of hit these points. So as long as it's already nicely written up and reading it will be um, more eloquent than me, you know, trying to say it, I will read it for you if that's okay. Yeah, well, so I'll pose the question again. All right. Um, why would you, somebody who was a lawyer for so many years, uh, you started off as a public defender, and then you worked as the for the Puyallup Indian tribe for for pretty much my years. entire life. Yes. Um, well, I'm a little bit older than than I was then, but I realize that <laughs> growing up, that was you know you were a public defender. I think when I was a little kid, and then the Puyallup Indian tribe for most of the time I was growing up. Um, why would you, who knew the legal system, uh, risk prison time and risk those consequences? Um, in taking this action, why did you feel it necessary to to do that? Uh, because I was a lawyer and spent many years working within the legal system, I know how poorly the legal system sometimes works for ordinary people and how incapable it is of adequately addressing some issues. Ultimately, I decided to take this action because my conscience would not let me do otherwise. There are people all over the world who are already losing their homes and even their lives to catastrophic effects of climate change. They have no choice but to deal with the climate emergency we are now in. So I feel that morally, I have no choice either. There are lives in the balance. Thousands of people are already dying from the effects of climate change, and if we don't put a stop to it, it will be millions within a few short years. Every life is precious and it is absolutely morally unacceptable to me to stand idly by while even one life is sacrificed so that greedy oil company executives and their already obscenely rich shareholders and the banks who fund them can continue to make their ever more obscene profits at the expense of all life on earth. I did this because I have tried every legal possibility many times. I would not have chosen to break the law if I had any other effective alternative, but we are almost completely out of time to turn this around, and I believe it is absolutely my moral duty to step up and put my body on the line to stop the fossil fuel corporations from destroying the very basis of life on Earth. I owe this to my children and to all future, ge future generations." That was what I wanted to say. That was what I wanted the jury to hear. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, pe people will be able to hear that on here. Um, and, I appreciate that. Uh, you were on Democracy Now! this morning. Did you? Yes. And you've been on different uh, different media outlets. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, you know, doing some more in the coming days. Do you touch on those? Is that kind of, do you touch on those points when you go there? Or I touch is, on some of those points, but, you know, I wasn't able to, like, put the whole statement out there it's like depends on what questions I get and how much time I'm given to, to respond to them so I've touched on bits of that you yeah. know in various places but you know that's that's kind of the coherent and thing. one of the um one of the tar sands five did do some prison yes. time, right? Yes. Michael Foster um, did six months in prison in North Dakota. He was sentenced to three years with two suspended, so he was supposed to do a year, but they gave him an early parole hearing and let him out after six months. 
That's good. So, yeah, I'm very glad he got out after six months. Six months was quite enough, I think, in a prison in North Dakota. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, on on the case or other things? And whatever, and whatever want, happens to come up. Huh? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I am... I spend a lot of time worrying about what's happening with the climate. Um, I truly believe, and you've heard me say this before, that if we don't get rid of capitalism, we are doomed. Um, the capitalist system, you know, hijacks our political system, and our politicians are all bought. And you know, we as ordinary citizens cannot make them respond to our needs even though i mean there there are things like single payer health care i think it's something like 70 to 80% of americans have said they would want that and yet the politicians won't do it because the pharmaceutical companies don't want it the you know insurance companies don't want it and they own the political system you know, if, if we had a real democracy, this this would be different, but we don't. We live in an oligarchy ruled by, you know, the moneyed elites. That's what we have. And as long as we have capitalism, that's what we're going to have. And I wish I knew what to do to change it, but I keep trying everything I can, um, even when it puts me at some legal risk. Do you think um, that it's always been like that, or do you think it's worse right now? It's definitely worse. I mean, you know, it's hard hard to get a whole lot worse than the current administration, but still, structurally, it has been, you know, a white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalist system from the get-go. And there have been better times. I'd say, you know, FDR, uh, you know, after the great, you know, beginning of the Great Depression. It Basically what happened was that capitalists were scared into enacting a lot of socialist provisions and that's why the country got better during that period because what the socialists had been pushing for years was actually enacted under a capitalist administration who was at least smart enough to see that the choice was move in a socialist direction or have a, a full-scale revolution at that point um, you know they they no longer see that that's a possibility I guess and um, they just keep pushing further to the right, and I see, you know, no good outcome for that unless people rise up and take over and, you know, change it very radically, very fast. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that's, like, one of the things with it. Like, when I listen to people, not the extreme right, but when I listen to people with, like, a more conservative, like, economically conservative viewpoint they always have like these talking points about how socialism doesn't work um but the problem the biggest flaw with that is like well clearly capitalism doesn't work either like mm -hmm. and so ultimately i don't i don't know that any of them work in the extreme like there's problems with any system um like i do i am also of course more of the mind that more of a socialist system would be better and our system does have elements of both but like you said it's been drawn super far to the right but i yes. feel like no matter what it's like 
the reason it feels really bad to me right now, and on the one hand, it's, I also, am like, is this how it's always been? With varying levels of uh, extreme mm-hmm. or extremity. Right. Um, because, like, obviously during slavery, which is what made this country rich in the first place. Exactly. Um, that's that's money, that's the thing. Capitalism is always exploitation, one way or yeah. another. And but like so, right now it's so. Back then, that was like very clear. Like, yeah, if you were black in America in slavery, most likely you were a slave, and you had zero rights and zero um, human rights, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but there were also like poor white people. <laughs> like, there's always been a lot of more poor white people than there were. Um, rich white people but when you know and Howard Zinn talks about this but you know the poor when you're fooled by like race and like oh well I have it better than those slaves over there maybe Mm -hmm. you're like a poor white person like you kind of miss what's really going on right it's divide and conquer it's their favorite tactic you know um brainwash all the poor white people into thinking that somehow their white skin gives them so much that it's worth you know standing with their oppressors over their, you know, brothers and sisters with darker skin who, you know, are in the same or, a, you know, in most cases a worse position, but are ultimately all being oppressed by the same oppressors. And, like, it's also the the line, if one of us is, isn't free, then none of us are free, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like, it's not just a philosophy. No. Like, it's basically, like, if the system is willing to dehumanize and brutalize humanity, like even if it's one group of humanity, then there's nothing to stop them from doing that from to everybody else. That's That's like, that's exactly right. And it's also like, it's the reason why like these ancient rules of like ancient principles of like old religions, which supposedly a lot of people you know, say supposedly follow. You mean? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. one of them is like, "Thou shalt not kill." Right. And like the reason for that is when you kill, um, it's like once you cross certain lines, it's easy to do it again. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like, and you, you stop can, seeing your your humanity gets diminished too. Is what I, I'm saying. So exactly. It's like even exactly. Like, I wonder about that golden tower, but, like, I see, like, of course there's a lot of greed, but I also see a lot of fear in that golden tower. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like, it's gotta be, you know, not fun being that person, even, oh, like, deep down. I, I, those people are, are terrible human beings. I mean, I you do not become, you know, I, even in a country as brainwashed as this, I cannot grasp why people have this hero worship of billionaires you do not become a billionaire except by being a ruthless exploitative cruel you know raping pillaging bastard you're an oppressor that's the only way you can become a billionaire and and those are terrible terrible human beings they're you know why would you want to be that person it, it's just it's well it's just tricky baffling. because i think some people want to, to it, there's like a line and you know 
like some people do want to um have bigger influence like that's the thing and so then there's a line where things get accelerated it's like why for me um because i don't know like yeah i definitely think there's a lot of i think like the power corrupts thing i think power makes people bad Mm -hmm. um i don't know like i think it's really hard for anybody to be in the like be in those types of positions of power and not get corrupted by it i agree which is why i don't think those positions of power should exist i don't you know i want and you know as egalitarian society as is human humanly possible i know it can't be absolute but it could be way more egalitarian than i mean we are one of the most unequal societies ever on the face of the earth it's it's you know become absolutely ludicrous all the money the resources everything is being sucked to the top to a few billionaires that's just a disgusting you know way to run a society um and it it hurts everyone except those at the very top never mind the one percent but then it gets crazy because the like with climate change and stuff like that it's like the level of greed to where it's like i get it to a certain point i like you know what i mean i get it from the dark side of my own human nature i get i I understand greed to a point (laughs) like like it's like think of like gluttony like i understand eating too much i understand Mm -hmm. that very well Mm -hmm. but there's a point where i'm gonna stop eating because i'm gonna be sick right and it's like that's where it's like i don't get it because it's like there's I can't eat any, like, and if, that's, like, the point where it's, like, you can't even, you can't, like, they don't, like, you can't even eat all the food that you have right. in front of you. Right. Like, so it just goes rotten, and you're getting sick from it. Like, that's the thing I don't understand with the climate change is yeah, it's, that it's, it's ultimately going to kill It's going to kill them, them and, and like their children and grandchildren, too. But, I mean, I've come to the conclusion that rich people don't even care about their own children. I mean, I mean, super rich people. I'm not talking upper middle class people. I'm talking the Jeff Bezos of the world. You don't like that guy. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> no, no, I just said you don't like that guy. I, I mean, well, he's I'm, destroyed Seattle, your hometown. I mean, Amazon has been an absolute plague on Seattle. Anybody who thinks they want Amazon in their tower, you know, you're deluded. It's it's the worst thing that's ever happened to Seattle. You know, the the gentrification, you know, the guy is just a greedy, tantrum-throwing, overgrown toddler. Here's a question, though, but do you have any hope for those people? Because... I don't think they're all the same. Like, I don't think every billionaire is the same. I do. I mean, but every poor person isn't the same. No, they aren't the same, but you have to... But if there's no hope for them, then what do we do? You know what I mean? If you can't change their... confiscate their wealth and make them become poor people, then, then there's hope for them. I'm serious. They don't, there's absolutely no reason that any human being should hoard that kind of wealth. That is obscene. That is immoral. But is there a way to not, like, have poor people? Because compensating yes. their wealth and making them poor... Well, yeah, no, I mean, if you, read, if you redistribu- redistributed all the wealth in the United States, no one would be poor. Yeah. If it was all evenly spread out, I'm serious. 
And that's, I'm not saying, you know, it can be absolute, but you could get a hell of a lot closer to it than we are now with people being, living decent lives. Well, I think we should have a bare minimum, like, level of quality of life for society. I think, like, everybody should be fed. I think everybody should be able to get educated. Mm -hmm. Um, I think everybody should get health care and housing. And I think that that there should be a basic level. Right. This is what I would do if I were if I <laughs> king of the world. world. <laughs> um, everybody should have a basic level. Mm-hmm. And then the other argument a lot of people have is like, well, a lot of people would be lazy and like nothing would get done. Like billionaires aren't lazy. But Give me a break. Most not, of those people are lazy as can be. Not necessarily. Like not necessarily. Like a Trump. Like I mean, he's not even a real billionaire. Like he's like he's somebody who inherited some stuff but a lot of people they might be lazy and that but they put in they did put in crazy hours at some point and yeah some of them yeah but that's not the point like the the point that i'm making is that there's always going to be lazy people right and i'm okay with that i'm okay with that too somebody wants to be lazy i don't think they need to starve or suffer no and then i think that there's like other people are still going to be ambitious and want to do more Right. And so then it's like if people have the basic level of life, then people can like work hard if they want to like improve and like try to do better. You know what I mean? That's what I think. Because otherwise, like, you know, I, I, I guess I just don't buy that whole, you know, you have to have a monetary incentive. I mean, you can have people who, you know, make art because you enjoy, you know, giving that part of yourself to the community. I mean, you can have communities where you just do these things if you have the basics and you don't have to worry about it and you can do what you enjoy. What's wrong with that? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, I agree with that. But I think that that's easier and smaller. Um, I, I also think it's, like, that's a good idea, but I don't know how we get there from... We do have a monetary system. So I think, like, money is a tool like it's a form of trade i think worshiping money and putting money over people yeah, I mean, is the problem but the like, problem is then you know you end up with banks you end up with interest you end up with you know stupid ridiculous derivative funds that's the problem with the yeah, monetary system yeah i'm saying system. who cares if I, I don't care like personally i don't care about that one way or another if everybody's basic needs are met like that's what i'm if saying if they were yeah but we're not e- even remotely close to that no, but I mean, we're not remotely quote, close to just having communities and no money either. Like we do have, you know what I mean? Like it's like whenever money was created mm-hmm. and it was created along, like I think tribes I had it, them too. Like they had versions of them, cowrie shells. Yeah. You had, I like mean, it the, wasn't there paper were, money, but you yeah. had people were trading with right. currency at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that we are going to put that, that cat back in the bag or whatever you know right. what i mean i mean you, you you may not have to get rid of money entirely but you know there a lot of things could be done more with bartering which is a much more community minded and egalitarian system and i'm not saying everything could be done that way but you know there's just a lot of ways that this could move in a much better direction um what about um if Bear with me for a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're, we're about if to do something crazy. Elon Musk and 
Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates um, created robots that took like our consciousness and like we became more robots then we wouldn't need money and we, would, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be okay now we're moving into sci-fi <laughs> bear with me for a second how about we take those three billionaires and just let me put finish. them on a rocket just ship let me fin- <laughs> but see but that sounds harsh when you say that that's what i'm saying like I, i'm saying like when you say that like you have to still remember they're humans too they're humans, but they're destroying the earth. I know, but so we got to figure out what to do. Like, that's what I'm saying. So, so we confiscate answer, all of their I money. I but that's not what you were just, the line well, you were just going on Well, if was, you're going to go with the robots, I'm, I'm going with the rocket I'm actually asking ships. an actual thing, okay. which I'm not talking about other people suffering. I'm saying humans might ultimately suffer. And I don't, like, with that timeline, I don't think that this is, like, the timeline that we're facing now is scary because it's like, I don't know that we're going to turn it around. What I'm saying is maybe if artificial intelligence takes over and it's like the next, like that's something that like humans gave birth to, um, maybe they could find a way to save the planet. Maybe they could find a way to save some of the other species on life. And we wouldn't be here as we are now anymore, but maybe we haven't had such a good track record and maybe they could be a better version of us. I agree we haven't had such a good track record, but as a member of the human species, I find that incredibly sad. I do. Oh, it, it is makes, sad, it but I'm me... just saying that might be um, that might be the only other hope. Like, yeah, it's well, super sad. I certainly wouldn't entrust it to any fucking billionaires, excuse my language. Well, it's, but I mean, I don't know. I, and, that... and I mean, I, you know, I mean, I who knows what they're up to, but, um, that would not i would fight them on it um on that yes i think that's a terrible idea okay we're talking hypotheticals right i know um but really though i i do want you to know that i'm super proud of you um for taking your direct action um i know that you wanted to give the testimony in court um but i'm glad that you're not spending any time in prison so i'm not gonna have to come back to minnesota, minnesota to, to, visit, to me. visit you here yeah although i would have of course yes um do you have any final thoughts no i um you know i will continue to fight the good fight till i no longer draw breath um i do this for you for your brother and for all future generations i really truly care that you know not only that life on earth survives but I truly care that we have a loving caring society as opposed to a grasping greedy society that we have now and that's you know why I do what I do well thank you very much and thank you I appreciate all your support very much and I love you, Mom. I love you, too. So that was my conversation with my mom, Annette Clapstein. And uh, thanks again, Dr. James Edward Hansen, for talking with me. Um, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed doing it. I hope that you vote, whether that's today or tomorrow, depending on when you hear this, if it's before or on Tuesday the 6th and you are registered to vote. 
don't forget to vote. And as Mark Marin says, hope the voting works. Um, and as I say, uh, get involved. You know, voting is important because it's one thing that we can do, that we do have the right to do, that we supposedly have the right to do. There's a lot of voter suppression we can get and all that. But um, it is a simple thing that we can do and we should do, um, as well as just being involved and getting active and activated in trying to affect your community and your world in whichever way you want to do that. Um, just doing it and pursuing it, I think, is is important. Um, we need more of us to do that. Uh, yeah. Vote. Hope the voting works. Um, and hopefully we get new politicians in. Um, I'm sick of these old corrupt people the old guard just all the corruption i just want the corruption out um and uh yeah i want us to have more conversations so if you're enjoying bushwick variety show uh please give it a share subscribe rate review um, and let me know what you think and i will be back on regularly with them um thank you for the patience during the break um yeah, I hope you're not mad at me. I hope you forgive me, and I promise I'm going to do better going forward. All right? Thank you for listening. Have a good one. Peace. We're going to set you free to